Girlwise is a safe space to learn and discuss all kinds of topics through anecdotes and evidence-based research. I'm your host, Brenda Nicole, and welcome to Girlwise. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the pod. I wanted to speak about a vital topic for everyone. It doesn't matter how old you are, what your sex or gender is. This is the period talk for everyone. Every person should know the basics of the menstrual cycle because it is literally the reason why all of us are alive today. It is a beautiful, intricate process that is the foundation of all life for humans and has been horribly devalued and even villainized, which is insane. So buckle your seatbelts, everyone, because we're in for a ride. Hey everyone, before we begin, I wanted to give a clear and important disclaimer to ensure that listeners understand the limitations of the advice given on this podcast. I am not a professional or expert on the topics being discussed, and you should always use your own judgment when it comes to where you stand on a subject and making decisions. While I do my best to direct you in what I think is the right direction, it is always wise to consult with a qualified professional when seeking advice on a particular issue. References will be in the show notes so you can take a look at the places I'm getting my information from as well. You know your own story and situation better than anyone else, so do what is best for you always. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode. I'm speaking about this one today because no one, unfortunately, had the period talk with me and I used to look up articles about it on websites for teen girls so I could understand what the heck I was to expect when it came. And whether you're in this exact situation, you'll never have a period in your life, but you know someone who has it or will, or you've had a period for 14 years or longer like myself, I'm sure that there is something you'll probably learn in this episode. This is solely meant to be a thorough but introductory course to the menstrual cycle because it is quite complex and can have endless variations depending on which circumstances it happens under. All the things I'm going to speak about today are the medical definitions of normalcy, and if you have any further questions, you should definitely talk to your general practitioner or gynecologist. So let's begin with the basics that is the anatomy of a woman's reproductive system. There are internal and external organs in the reproductive system, and while I'll discuss the external organs in the Birds and the Beast episode, today I'm going to be focusing on the internal organs. Inside the abdominal cavity, meaning your abdomen, you have a pelvic cavity that is like a little nook for all of your reproductive organs, bounded by the bones of the pelvis. The pelvis is the bone that you can feel right above the cooch. The female internal reproductive organs are the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the uterus, and of course, the ever so infamous vagina. Now, because I'm going to do this through audio descriptions, I'm going to have to get creative trying to describe what things look like and where they are. If you want to follow along, you can grab a pen and paper, or if not, you can just draw these images in your head. Think of the uterus as an upside-down triangle with curved edges. 
Some literature describes it as the shape of a light bulb. It's about seven centimeters from top to bottom, four to five centimeters across its widest part, and about two centimeters thick. It only weighs, on average, about one ounce. And from the top corners of that triangle, there are tubes that go out on both sides, called the fallopian tubes. They're around 10 to 12 centimeters long, but only around one centimeter in diameter. So they're very skinny. They curve down at the ends, and on those ends, they have little noodle-like structures called fimbriae that connect to the ovaries. The ovaries are, of course, oval-shaped glands that are around the size of a kiwi from puberty until menopause. After menopause, they have served their purpose and they shrink to about the size of a kidney bean. There are two of them next to the uterus, but not touching it, that are kept in place by muscles and ligaments. And finally, underneath the triangle that is the uterus, there is a canal called the vagina, which is basically a tube that connects your uterus to the outside world. The end of the uterus before the vagina is called the cervix. The size of the vagina can depend on many factors, but the average is around three and a half inches long, though it can increase its depth during arousal. There are thousands of small anatomical parts to these organs, and I totally encourage you to research more if you find it interesting, because the more you know about the body, the better prepared you are to deal with it. So what is a period? A period is slang term for the first stage of the menstrual cycle, which is called the menstrual period. A menstrual cycle is the process in which the body prepares for reproduction. Basically, the way that your body prepares in order to have a baby. There are many working parts, but in basic terms, there is a cycle that is happening inside the ovaries, and one happening inside the uterus. Both of these are dependent on one another and together they form the menstrual cycle. So the ovarian cycle's job, the one that's happening inside the ovaries, is to prepare the genetic material for insemination. Basically, those are fancy words that mean that it's preparing your DNA to get ready to be mixed with other DNA to make a baby. The follicle is basically kind of like a balloon that carries the egg or oocyte, which has the genetic information, the DNA that is going to come from you. A sperm carries the genetic information from a man. Insemination is when the sperm and the oocyte meet. And you've probably also heard the word ovum, and that's basically an egg when it gets fertilized by the sperm. So the ovarian cycle starts with the follicular phase. This phase lasts on average around 14 days. Inside of our brains, we have two structures called the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. These have many important functions, and one of them is to release hormones to control the menstrual cycle. These hormones are kind of like messenger carriers that give the order to go. 
The hypothalamus in the brain releases a hormone called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, also known as GNHR, that gives the order to its downstairs neighbor, the pituitary gland, that it's time to start releasing follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, and luteinizing hormone, or LH. Now, there has been a wide consensus that we should really stop abbreviating things in the medical world. It's bad for everyone and it makes it difficult to understand, but I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I'm sorry if you're going to, if you think that all of these letters are confusing, they are, but I'm sure you're probably going to come across these hormones constantly in your reproductive cycle if you're a woman, so it's important to know what their abbreviations are. Now, these hormones travel through the bloodstream from the brain until they reach the ovaries. For most women, this process happens in one ovary a month and then the other one the next. Sometimes it can happen in both ovaries at once and though that's rare, it could actually mean that you get something called fraternal twins. Now inside the ovary, where all of the eggs are, a few are selected to enter a competition of sorts. You might have heard that sperm cells compete to fertilize an egg, but women's cells also compete with each other. During this beginning follicular stage of the menstrual cycle, FSH and LH give the command to start the Hunger Games style competition and around 12 to 14 oocytes, or female egg cells, begin to grow and build their balloons, aka follicles. Now, these balloon follicles grow and grow, but the only one that can win is the biggest one, aptly named the dominant follicle. On a rare occasion, two can sometimes win as well, and that can also result in fraternal twins. Of course, only if they're inseminated. Now, a byproduct of these growing follicles is another hormone called estrogen. The more they grow, the more estrogen is produced. When the body first detects the estrogen, the brain releases less FSH and LH. Eventually, the other follicles die off as they can't compete with the dominant follicle. And so the dominant follicle keeps growing and growing and producing more and more estrogen, which then acts as a positive feedback and the brain releases more and more FSH and LH. So breaking that down, what that means is that at the beginning, they start these kind of Hunger Games competition and they go, whoever can crawl the fastest is the one that wins. And so the brain is releasing all of this FSH and LH and it's like, okay, here you go. Here are, are the, the go commands to start growing these follicles. And then because it wants only one of them to win, as the follicles start growing and start releasing estrogen, the brain is like, you know what? I'm only going to release a little bit because I want to see who's really winning, who's really putting in the work. And so the other follicles that are much smaller start to die off because they're like, well, the big one's the one that's getting all of the FSH and LH, so I guess that's it for me. And then they just die. 
And so the big one, the big boy, the big follicle is like, yes, I'm getting all of this FSH and LH. And so when it's really big and it's producing a whole bunch of estrogen, the brain is like, okay, well, now that you're big and strong, I'm going to start giving you much more FSH and LH so you can grow as big and strong as possible. So around two days before ovulation, there is a peak of all of these hormones, which finalizes the growth of the follicle and causes ovulation. Ovulation is when the follicle gets so big, it touches the wall of the ovary and proteins called enzymes break down the wall to let the oocyte out of the ovary. Here, the follicle balloon almost pops and then lets the oocyte out and into the fallopian tubes. The follicle goes on to transform into something called corpus luteum by changing all of its cells into luteus cells. And this happens around day 14 of the menstrual cycle. So if you've heard about ovulation, that's what it is. After ovulation, we enter the second phase of the ovarian cycle, which is the luteal phase. If the egg that wasn't released doesn't get fertilized, then the corpus luteum, which is the transformed follicle balloon, grows and grows even more in size until around day 25 of the menstrual cycle when it reaches its peak size. The corpus luteum still produces a little bit of estrogen, but less than before, so the estrogen levels, of course, begin to fall. So now the level of LH and FSH drop quite quickly because there's no estrogen to let the brain know that these follicles are growing. Because there are fewer LH levels, the corpus luteum begins to produce our final infamous hormone called progesterone. This also acts as a negative feedback to the pituitary gland, so even less FSH and LH are released, which also means less estrogen and more progesterone. So, after the corpus luteum reaches its full size, it starts to self-destruct through something called apoptosis, which means that the cells die for a programmed purpose. And it turns into the corpus albicans, which doesn't produce any hormones anymore. So now there's very low progesterone, very low estrogen, and very low LH and FSH. Now the uterus's job is to provide support, nutrients, and energy to a growing fetus. So the uterine cycle is the way that the uterus prepares itself to be able to do all of that. The uterine walls have three layers. From outside to inside, there are the parametrium, which is just a little bit of connective tissue that encapsulates the whole thing. The myometrium, which is a layer of muscle cells. And the endometrium, which of course is the one that sheds. Now, inside of the uterus, there is a little cavity, which is where the baby or the fetus would eventually grow in. The endometrium itself has two layers called the functional layer and the basal layer. These are two layers of cells. The functional layer is the one that is shed during a period. And the basal layer has stem cells that rebuild the functional layer as the cycle continues. So we're going to break all of this down. The first one, we're going to rewind all the way back to day one. And the first day is called the menstrual phase. 
This usually lasts around five days and it consists of shedding the functional layer of the endometrium. There is bleeding because there are tiny arteries in that functional layer called spiral arteries that give nutrients to that tissue. So technically, and I hope you're following along with me here, the blood is a secondary effect to the uterus shedding those cells. Your body isn't getting rid of the blood, it's getting rid of the cells that make up that part of the endometrium. And so in order to do that, it has to break those blood vessels off in the process, and so they bleed. The reason why there are so many blood vessels there in the first place is because a fetus needs a lot of nutrients to grow and the way that nutrients are passed are through blood vessels. So if you remember during the first stage of the ovarian cycle there is an increase of estrogen and as the estrogen increases during this first menstrual phase we get the shedding and we also get the contraction of the uterus to be able to get rid of this tissue. The second phase of this uterine cycle is the proliferative phase. The ovaries are working hard to produce the new follicles, and so the estrogen again begins to rise. As the estrogen is rising, it sends signals to the uterus that it's time to start rebuilding itself because the oocyte is coming, and that means it could be the prospect of a fetus that has to have a home. And so it starts to rebuild itself. And so the functional layer begins to thicken. There are new endometrial glands, which are glands that secrete mucus to change the environment of the uterus. For example, it changes the environment of the uterus in order for sperm cells to live longer. And the emergence of new spiral arteries begins. And so this phase goes all the way up till ovulation. And finally, after ovulation, we get the secretory phase. So the progesterone that happens after the ovulation because of the corpus luteum makes the spiral arteries reach their full form, becoming coiled, and the uterine glands secrete more mucus. So basically, it's like the uterus is like, ta-da, I'm done. I'm brand new and shiny, just waiting for this new fertilized egg to begin pregnancy and I'm completely ready to accept the egg and start this process and it reaches its peak thickness at six millimeters so that's actually pretty thick but after around day 15 the optimal fertilization window begins to close and the rise of more progesterone because there isn't a fertilized egg makes the spiral arteries collapse and so the cycle begins again. I really hope that I explained that well and that you guys were able to keep up with me. I tried to explain it in as simple terms as I possibly could, and so I really hope that came across easy to understand. Now, there are a lot of other things that come with periods, menstruation, and the menstrual cycle. First of all, of course, puberty is the transition from not being able to reproduce to being able to reproduce. This happens to boys and girls, but for girls, the first period is called a monarchy, and it signifies the new age of reproduction for a body. So there are many symptoms that you can have during your period, but some of the most common ones are cramps, pain in your lower belly or in your lower back, 
bloating, when your stomach or your abdomen feels very puffy, breakouts of acne, a sore chest, feeling tired, or mood swings, amongst plenty of other ones. All of these are caused by the high changes and hormones that we just discussed are happening, but experiencing them all for the first time can be overwhelming and scary. I remember during the first like six months of getting my period, I would get awful cramps and constantly feel like I was going to faint because it felt like my body didn't know what to do with everything that was happening. Thankfully, that went away, but if you're just starting your period, don't be afraid to ask for help from someone you trust. Remember that it's not embarrassing, dirty, inappropriate, or shameful to talk about them, and anyone who tells you otherwise seriously needs to grow up. They are a very normal part of life, and nearly half of the population on earth has them or will have them. On the other hand, Menopause signifies the end of the reproductive phase of life. Women, unlike men, are born with a finite amount of eggs, around 2 to 4 million in their ovaries. And because, like we discussed, we use around 15 to 25 during each menstrual cycle, it takes, on average, around 40 years of monthly cycles to go through most, if not all of them. When they begin to run out, a phase called perimenopause begins. Periods will begin to become regular or shortened until eventually they stop. After 12 consecutive months of not having a period, it is considered menopause and the body begins to feel and make changes accordingly. So the absence of estrogen gives an array of different symptoms such as hot flashes, sleep problems, bladder problems, mood swings, vaginal dryness, libido decrease, changing cholesterol levels, and loss of bone that can lead to illnesses such as osteoporosis. Another important thing to know about the menstrual cycle are PMS and PMDD. These are terms that are thrown around constantly. Now, these are not evil. They don't make you a bad person. They're not the devil. They're a normal part of the changes that happen during these cycles and sadly have been weaponized against women to make them feel bad over something that they have no control over. PMS stands for premenstrual syndrome, and it consists of signs and symptoms that are caused by the extreme change in hormones in the body. Like we said in the menstrual cycle, the peaks are very high and the lows are quite low. So hormones are something that every single person has. They regulate all the cycles that we have in our body, like sleep cycle, appetite cycle, we even have immune cycles, and they affect everyone. And so in order for women to be able to produce more humans, they have to go through the menstrual cycle, and the heightened rise and fall of these hormones affects more than just our reproductive organs. So some of these symptoms may include emotional and behavioral signs and symptoms like tension or anxiety, depressed mood, crying spells, mood swings and irritability or anger, 
appetite changes and food cravings, trouble falling asleep, social withdrawal, poor concentration, change in libido, and there's also physical signs and symptoms like joint or muscle pain, headache, fatigue, weight gain related to fluid retention, abdominal bloating, breast tenderness, acne flare-ups, constipation or diarrhea, and even alcohol intolerance. The severity of these signs and symptoms may vary from person to person, and they usually should go away within the first four days of getting your period. But for some people, however, these may be so bad that they're categorized as having premenstrual dysphoric disorder or PMDD. This needs medical attention and treatment because it can be so severe that these women cannot complete their daily tasks. And if you live with this, I am truly so sorry. I can't even imagine how frustrating that must feel. Okay, so moving on from those serious topics, we're going to talk about tools for period blood. Because learning how to manage your period is something that is extremely important to all who have one. It is such a state of independence and learning how to listen to your own body. So there are many types of products that are out there in the market for periods, and I see new funky ones coming out all the time. There's something for everyone. And maybe I'll do an episode on here or a YouTube video trying out as many as I can. Let me know if you'd like that. But for now, I'm just going to name them with a quick explanation. We have, of course, the most popular ones worldwide, and that is sanitary pads. And those are cotton pads that contain pieces of plastic for stability and hold that are placed in your underwear. And they absorb the blood outside of the body. These are the easiest to use, but they're not very eco-friendly because they're single use and you probably have to go through around four plus in a day on your heaviest days. There are a million and one types of pads depending on the time of day you want to use them, the flow, the activities you plan to do, colors, materials, scented and unscented, which doctors always recommend unscented, and so on. There are also even reusable pads that you can wash after each use that are a bit more environmentally friendly if you're looking for an option. Next, we have tampons, of course, and tampons are little cylinders of cotton that are inserted in the vagina that absorb the blood inside. There are also thousands of variations of tampons. Some come with plastic applicators, which are little pieces of plastic that help you get it in and that are supposed to be removed. Oh my gosh. So whenever I first tried putting in my first tampon, I, because again, didn't have someone to give me the period talk, actually looked up a YouTube video and I watched this video like five or six times of this girl explaining how to put a tampon in and I watched it as carefully as I could. I even read the instructions on that came inside the tampon box. It was a U by Kotex. Wasn't it wasn't it called U by Kotex? Little tampons. They were different colors, like the wrappers were different colors. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so mature. I'm so grown. I was like maybe 12 or 13 at the time. 
And I was like, oh, I'm totally going to be able to do this. But nowhere, and I do mean nowhere, not on the video, not in the instructions. And I read this thoroughly. I am such an instruction girly. And nowhere did it say that you were supposed to discard the plastic applicator. I don't, I, it just must have slipped both of their minds because I guess it seems intuitive, but to, I had zero clue. I had never even seen a tampon in my life. And so I tried putting it in and I was like, ow, this hurts and is horribly uncomfortable. How could people just walk around like this? And so after like 30 minutes of struggling, I just completely gave up and I was like, I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to do this. And it wasn't until the next day that I was talking to my friend and I was like, I tried it, but it was awful. And she was like, did you throw away the applicator? And I was like, oh, you're supposed to take it off. <laughs> Anyways, I was kind of scarred after that. I didn't try putting in one for like three years. But eventually, I got the hang of it, and so can you. But just make sure that you take it out and throw it away. Okay, so some come without plastic applicators, some are organic cotton, and some have colors, although that is also not advised. The next one we have are menstrual cups. These have recently become super popular and they are silicone cups that are also inserted into the vagina and collect the blood inside. These don't have any applicators of all sorts. The whole thing goes in there and stays in there. They can be worn the whole day and afterwards they're taken out and the blood gets dumped and then the cup is washed and sterilized in boiling water so it can be reused. They can be reused hundreds of times. A lot of them claim that they can be used throughout your entire reproductive life and can actually help save on costs and make a lot less trash. The next ones are menstrual discs, which are some of the newest period products that have recently come out and I've really been wanting to try these because a lot of people swear by them. They say that they're the best period products that they've used. And basically, these are kind of like little disposable discs that are much shorter than a cup. It kind of looks like like a little bowl. It kind of looks like a little bowl for a pet, like a, a tiny little like hamster bowl. And these are made out of medical grade polymer that mold themselves to fit the body once it's inserted. So it's a lot more malleable. And these sit at the base of the cervix and they collect the blood. At the end of the day, you take it out, dump the contents, and then throw it away. But there are reusable ones that are made out of silicone and are also cleaned like the menstrual cups. And last but not least, our period underwear. So these are meant to catch the period blood on their own, no pad required, and there are different types depending on how much you bleed. And if you've ever tried them, please let me know because what happens when you get blood clots? So there is also an extensive array of products to help deal with other symptoms like pain, bloating, and so on. For pain, I personally use a TENS machine which is basically a machine that sends electric pulses through your skin to distract and confuse your nerves from the pain. And hilariously and ironically, these are the machines that people use 
to simulate birth and period pain, but I use them to take away my period pain. That's, they're meant to take away pain, not cause it. And I also, of course, use a heating pad. Teas are really good for intestinal symptoms like chamomile, peppermint, cinnamon, and turmeric. So we're going to go through some myths and facts about periods really quickly, just to clear up a few things or a few misconceptions that are very common. The first ones are cramps are normal and you just have to get over it. Myth. Cramps are not as normal as you think. The name for a period with pain is called dysmenorrhea and there are many different levels of pain that you can have. It's actually quite common for women to have pain within the first three days of their period, but it should be manageable pain. If the pain is extreme, it prohibits you from doing daily tasks, it makes you faint or vomit or has a a whole array of other symptoms, then it is absolutely not normal and you should 100% see a doctor. But even if it doesn't have all of those symptoms, you deserve to live a life free of pain and discomfort. So if someone is not taking you seriously, please get a second, third, fourth opinion because you deserve to be taken seriously and live a comfortable life. Just because you have a period doesn't mean that you just have to be uncomfortable and suck it up. The second one is you can't get pregnant during your period. Myth. Yes, you can get pregnant during your period. And I'll cover this in the Birds and the Bees episode. But basically, there are women who have gotten pregnant while on their period. There are women who have gotten pregnant after they think they've gone through menopause. There are women who have gotten pregnant on their first period. There are women who have gotten pregnant while already being pregnant. So please, use protection. I don't think people understand that unless you're using protection, and even with something like a condom or an IUD or the pill, there is still always, always a chance that you can get pregnant. Okay, so the next one is talking about periods is TMI. Myth. Periods are normal and must be talked about. Sharing experiences helps us connect, learn about other people's experiences, create empathy and understanding, and sometimes lets us know that something is up with our own periods because we're having different experiences than other people. I don't think I could have survived my first, like I said, six months of getting my period if I didn't have my friends at that time. They really got me through it. So, Having a support system like that is super important and I'm so glad that we were so open and vulnerable and just ready to talk about our experiences because again, like that tampon story, I would have not known if I hadn't spoken up about it. The next one is periods are dirty. Myth. The vagina, unlike the penis, is a self-cleaning organ that has a purposeful array of bacteria and fungi to keep the uterus safe. The blood itself is no different than the one that you would get taken out for blood work, a bloody nose, or a paper cut. Serious diseases, though, can be transmitted through blood, but they're not specific to period blood. 
It's just blood in general. The next one is we're overreacting because we're on our period. Myth. As we discussed, our bodies are trying their very best to adapt to hormone changes that would affect anyone going through them. It just so happens to be women experiencing them. And there is no such thing as overreacting. We've already been through this in a previous episode. Next one is periods are a personal issue. Myth. Periods are a humanitarian crisis. And the United Nations declared in 2014 that menstrual hygiene is a public health issue. There are so many people who don't have access to proper care and sanitary products for their periods. And the last one is, not changing your pad or tampon could cost you your life. Fact. You must change your pad at most every 8 hours and your tampon every 6 with clean hands. Toxic shock syndrome is a condition caused by toxins from bacteria. Bacteria such as Staphylococcus aureus, Streptococcus pyogenes, and Clostridium cerdeli can be introduced into the body via the vagina and caused toxic shock syndrome. The complications from TSS can be anywhere from a horrible time at the hospital with extreme flu-like symptoms to sepsis, which may need amputations of your extremities or even cause death. So please, be careful, girls. Skipping the washing the hands is not worth losing your legs or arms or your life. Another thing that I wanted to cover, but there's no way that I'm going to have time, are birth control pills specifically. Because they can help to not only regulate your period if you need to, they can also stop your period. If that's something that you want, they can help... Uh, lower cramps sometimes. And sometimes they're also given as medicines to be able to regulate different illnesses that you can have like polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis. But there are just too many things that we have to discuss on birth control pills. So that will have to be for a different episode. I just wanted to mention that they are out there and it is important to know about them. And so we're going to cover just other simple points that I think are important to know that didn't really fit in any of the previous categories. First off, it is imperative to track your period. If you have just started your period, if you've been having your period for 20 years and you don't track it, you really, really, really need to start tracking it. You can track it on your planner, on a notebook, or of course on the ever so popular period tracker apps, just make sure that these apps are not selling your information because unfortunately, a lot of the really popular ones have had a track record of selling information both to advertisers and insurance companies, which is so dangerous and scary. So really, really, really do your research and make sure that they're not selling your information because this is very sensitive and private information and you deserve or have a right to keep that private. So what should you track? You should track the end date. So how long does your period usually last? Obviously, the most important thing to track is the first day. Remember that the menstrual cycle begins on the first day of bleeding. 
And so if you're tracking that, you can count how many days from the first day until the next first day. You can notice how long your period usually lasts. And sometimes if something is different, you can notice it right away. Is it longer or shorter than usual or anything of the sort? Another thing that you can track that is important is the flow, which means how much you are bleeding. And after a while, you can see if this one is lighter or heavier than usual, uh, how often you need to change your tampon or pad, or if you've passed any blood clots, or if that's something that regularly happens. You can also track your pain, any pain you feel during your period, and maybe if the pain feels worse than usual. You can also take note of that if you have something to compare it to. Maybe you've noticed changes in your mood or behavior or anything new happen in like your sleep schedule. If you have tracked these things for a long time, you can notice any changes and then report those changes to your gynecologist. Which brings us to the next point is when should you get a gynecologist? So you can get a gynecologist as soon as you get your period. You can ask them for a lot of things. You can ask them any questions that you have. They can give you a whole bunch of different options for birth control, like I mentioned, or just period pain management. If you don't have a gynecologist, when should you go? You should go when your cramps are very severe, like we discussed. If your bleeding is excessive, lasts longer than seven days, or occurs often or at the wrong time of your cycle. If you haven't had your first period by the age of 16, if it's been three months since your last period, if you think you might be pregnant, or if you develop a fever and feel sick after tampon usage, which actually you should probably most likely go to the hospital if that happens. And last but not least, whenever you need a pap smear. So if you don't know how to even find a gynecologist, I actually have an episode on how to find a good doctor as a woman, and I would highly encourage you to listen to that one. Talking about pap smears, it is very important after you have started your sexual journey to get pap smears every single year. For those of you who don't know, a pap smear is when they take a little cotton swab and they take a sample, they brush the cotton swab against your cervix and they take a little sample of the cells in the cervix to look for mutations. And they do this because of a little virus called the human papillomavirus, which can be transmitted through sexual intercourse. So there are a few strands of this virus that actually cause cervical cancer. They can, they can cause different types of cancer, but pap smears are specifically designed to see if there is any sign of cervical cancer. So yes, uh, you should get them every single year. Different countries have different risk levels, so they will ask you to come in at different ages. Here in Mexico, it is suggested that you get a pap smear every single year since the age of 18. I know in the UK, it's every single year after the age of 25. So different countries have different risk levels, but you can definitely get a pap smear as soon as you start your sexual journey. And it is very, very, very important to do so every single year. It can actually save your life. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about really quickly, even though it doesn't 
necessarily have to do with periods, I thought it would be a good thing to speak about right now, and that is discharge. Discharge is basically any sort of liquid that is coming out of your vagina. The first one is white discharge. Uh, It's pretty normal and should be odorless, and it usually happens right around the time before ovulation. Uh, If it's clear and watery, this is normal for, of course, arousal and during ovulation because of the hormone changes. If it's brown or bloody, it can be called spotting and it's normal right before or after your period. If it happens during intercourse, during pregnancy, or not anywhere close to your period, you may want to speak to your gynecologist about it. If it's yellow or green, uh, it can be normal to be slightly yellow or greenish when normal white discharge is exposed to air for a long time. But if it smells or it's accompanied by other symptoms like um, itching and burning, itching and burning, then it's probably time to make an appointment with the doctor. And it's also important to track your discharge and get to know your own body so that if something changes, again, you can tell straight away and you can just go to your gynecologist. Okay, I hope all of that was informative and you learned something. Please let me know if you have any questions. You can send them in at the email. But with that, it's time to end the podcast with Ask Me Anything. And that is the ending segment of the podcast where you can ask me literally anything. Today's question is yes or no. And I love this question. I find it (laughs) perfect for this time in my life because I was just speaking to my therapist and she asked me to be more spontaneous because I have perfectionism issues and so she was like you need to be more spontaneous and I was like I agree and so the answer is yes absolutely until it's no but for right now it's yes okay so thank you so much for listening to the podcast if you want to send in a question about anything you can do so by sending an email to girlwisepod at gmail.com g-i-r-l-w-i-s-e-p-o-d at gmail.com And I hope you guys liked this episode and found it informative. All of my references are, of course, in the link in the show notes. If you want to look where I got my information or maybe do some research of your own. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye!